So, uh, it seems like America might have like a new top secret super weapon. Okay, tell me about this. Well, it always happens that, not always, but it frequently happens that when we sit down to record, I've had a pretty peaceful time at the house. (laughs) Nothing too crazy. But then we sit down to record and either right away or just a little bit into it, the cats start fighting. (laughs) Oh, no. Different groups of cats. And how is this related to American Superweapon? So... I think like, the, you know, they say the Russians and the Cubans and whoever, right? America's enemies. They make our CIA officers tummies hurt. <laughs> yeah. The Havana syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. They have the secret death ray to microwave them into, uh, <laughs> into feeling anxiety and, uh, tummy cramps. Uh, I don't, I'm leaving that sound in because my cats just started. somebody knocked something off the counter they're chasing each other what the fuck guys so yeah my hypothesis is that dave and dan are sitting out there in their van yeah they have their own little microwave but it's like a cat one you know and it riles them up yeah remy's clawing the chair next to me right now i think they split up which one do you think you have dave or dan i got a i got a feeling for dan Mm, mm, okay dan if you're out there hey buddy (laughs) (laughs) fuck you (laughs) yeah i was gonna say dave fuck you if you're out there (laughs) i hope we don't have listeners like what if there is a pair of brothers that listen that are named dave and dan no you guys are cool you guys are cool (laughs) real listeners not not state sponsored listeners yeah if you're paid by the government to listen to us to turn us into the to the feds then you suck but yes yes all other listeners are good (laughs) everyone else yeah shout out good it's like the tweets good morning to everyone but exactly our fbi uh, spies (laughs) (laughs) you guys no not so much what are we talking about today today we're talking about a movie because we were busy camping this weekend (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah it was a lot of fun it's so much fun it's very tiring but a lot of fun absolutely so (laughs) Once I recovered a bit, took a very long nap, I watched The Young Karl Marx. Heck yeah. A 2017 film directed by Raoul Peck. You may know as the director of I Am Not Your Negro. Uh, and the movie starred August Deal. Listeners, it's available on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out or anywhere else you find movies for, for viewing. Yeah, I think on Amazon Prime it's like through IMDb or something. But yes, and I it's think it works. free with commercials. And I kept getting kids' movies commercials, and so it'd just be like, "Oh, we're talking about the manifesto," and then Rio two, and like it was like an ad of like a bulldog with sunglasses on his ass, and he was dancing. All right, that's what that's what entertains kids these days. If you, I mean, you don't need a fancy you know screen if you've got a bulldog that you can teach to dance and some sunglasses <laughs> it was cgi well yeah they may not go for the actual authentic article they need it to be animated so it was an interesting uh mashup of yeah of experiences <laughs> i bet this movie doesn't uh, that's a very different vibe <laughs> yeah aesthetic yeah. <laughs> all right let's get into it so we start the story in 1843, uh, with a, a lovely scene of, well, they have the text over, like the text thing first, 
that says, hey, the Industrial Revolution was happening. <laughs> Here's what's up. Yeah. And then we see these peasants, and they're very dirty, so you know that they're poor people of some sort. You don't really know if they're peasants or workers or what. Yeah, I was struck by how very peasanty they looked. I was like, this seems late in the game for like medieval ass looking peasants, but okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, all through the Industrial Revolution, you're seeing a steadily declining percentage of people who are engaged in agriculture, but you're declining from like 90%, you know? Jesus, yeah. So there's, you know, that, that, that kind of rural edge is still there for more than we consider. This movie is also multilingual, which I really liked that choice. I liked it. It was difficult, but I liked it. <laughs> I thought it was um, cool, but it made me pay attention more, which was a little bit annoying. Yeah, I agree. But I think I was also just tired. So I was like, fuck, I have to like look the whole time. Um, <laughs> no, like ordinary me, I'm very much like, I don't want to focus and drink in a movie. But yeah, I was pretty tired when I was watching it too. <laughs> yeah, I was exhausted. I was like, this is not at all a detriment or like the fault of the movie. I kept checking how much time I had left because I really wanted to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> it is cool though. And I, I agree with your take on that. Like the the multilingual thing was also like a, it very accurately portrays Marx and Engels and their correspondence and everything. Like their literal letters and stuff that we have are like peppered with, we've mentioned this on another episode, peppered with like different languages and, and stuff. Yeah, what I really appreciate about it, I guess, is the authenticity of it, because I remember, I think I've told this story in the podcast that like, Kyle was watching a movie with like Jude Law, and everyone had British accents. And I was like, it took me like 50 minutes of watching to be like, oh, this is in Russia. <laughs> because I had no context. I was like, why? What are we doing here? Yeah. So I, I really liked it. I think it was, it helped you kind of figure out where they were. I mean, they also told you where they were with like text, but just added to it. And like, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it was a good choice for sure. Peasants, they are taking, well, they're gathering firewood and the like the monologue on top of it is talking about the difference between theft and gathering, basically. Like if you pull wood from a living tree, that's considered theft because the tree is property. And gathering used to be okay, just gathering dead wood off the ground, but now it's not. And then the cops show up. And they go to town. Yeah, they fucking stab a guy over firewood. They, yeah, and they're beating people up, and there's ki clearly kids screaming, and they they don't care. They just mow the place down. Uh, I thought it was cool, though, like, the, the voiceover. I didn't write a quote specifically, but it really laid bare, like, what privatization... Or, you know, enclosing the commons back in the day. Like all these things, what they literally do, besides the ideological fluff of like making people freer or whatever, it's actual, you know, it's actual consequences instead of the earth being for everyone, instead of being like, you know, kind of how the diggers would do it or Kropotkin would do it all for all. It's walling it off and saying like, no, you can't have this. Like this is for some people and not for others. And I think to me, the larger thing I got from this and a couple of the other conversations is it's not just the who it's for, it's the, the criminalization of who it's not for. Like so much of, of property law is, is like that. Like I, I will often think like if I'm driving and I see like a patch of land that looks very wild, I think somebody probably owns that and it would be trespassing to go on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to get <laughs> shot, like walking in places you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. 
and that this is just the old school version of it. I thought it was a good example too of like the brutish nature at the heart of the state, you know, because they are, they are just clubbing children down to, you know, to enforce the will to protect private property over literal sticks. Yeah. Like stuff that's just laying on the ground that like we meet, Engels's fancy dad later it's like it would his ass be out there like picking up those sticks no you know <laughs> you don't yeah. give a damn what happens to it but he's gonna pay thugs to go and rough people up who try to take it yeah I mean that that reminds me a lot of like fruit trees and like how those are now like very difficult to find because like people realize like oh I don't want to give away these fruits for free which is so sad yeah, another part of that, I think you're onto something with the criminalization part of that. Because, like, it's not necessarily even that they're trying to sell, right, the, 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 wood. the fucking wood or anything. It's more like they want to further immiserate people who otherwise could have, like, a little bit better standard of living. Like, mm-hmm. you can't as easily say, I'm only going to pay you, you know, starvation wages if that person can go supplement themselves a little easier in like the wildlands or what have you, yeah. but you can more effectively say like, you're crushed beneath my thumb. You know, you have to do this. You have to do that because you have no other avenues. Like there's nothing you can provide for yourself from any common land besides what you get from my, you know, the scraps from my table. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great point. Like you don't see, again, you don't see like the owner or his workers, trying to gather with themselves. And like, that's how a lot of these laws work. Like even if you think about busking or or any sort of like permit thing where like you don't have a permit to sell things, it's it's to prevent you from like easily accessing money. There's so many rules around that. Yep. All right. That was the first scene. (laughs) Yeah, we're still in the first scene. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta get going. So the the first time we see, we kind of pan out from that and it's Mark's. He's looking out the window. He looks worried. And he's there in like a room with some other guys. And they're talking nervously because there's cops outside. Mm-hmm. And this is like their newspaper. And apparently they've been writing too many hot takes. Particularly Marx has been writing too many hot takes. <laughs> and they're going to get shut down. And Marx is like, fuck it. Like, let them do it. He talks some shit about the Hegelians, which is great. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. He was like a young Hegelian back in the day. He ran with them. Their whole thing was like they were kind of critical of Hegel and saw it in a different way. They were kind of like left versions of Hegel. Like they took his dialectical thing. Yeah, I remember that. But they had a different twist on it, you know, and they used it to like critique society and stuff. But then Marx kind of gradually comes to think that the young Hegelians are kind of full of themselves and just want to do, you know, pretty talking philosophy and don't want to like do shit. So that's where he kind of, he does gradually fall away from him. And it makes it look in this scene like he's just like, fuck you guys. (laughs) But it's way more of a gradual thing in real life. (laughs) Okay, great. This is why I'm so excited to talk about this with you because like, I only know a smattering of Mike Marx's personal history and just, the the movements around there in general based on some of our readings we've done by the way listeners if you like i would reread the manifesto if you're like gonna listen to this episode or yeah. watch this movie that'd be nice 
but yeah, I was really curious about like, okay, like how does this match up historically? Stuff like that. Because it, it almost felt like there were cameos, even though it's a historical movie. I'm like, oh, that guy, I remember that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. It's it's pretty faithful to what happens. It takes, I think it tries to make more of a dramatic narrative sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about it. Side note, I think Marx is very hot in this movie. He's, he's pretty good looking. Pretty good looking. I like his big hair. I, I think he's got a good look going. So you're more for Marx. I think Engels has a little bit better look for me. Oh, really? Yeah. He's a little too much of a twink for me. I mean, mm, some people, enough. that's their thing, but it's yeah. not for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so where they're at, he's there with Max Sterner, the doodle guy. Oh, I didn't even realize that was Max Sterner. Yeah, he was in there in the office at first. He calls. He just says his name. So okay, I don't think okay. it really otherwise it. does things. And uh, Bruno Bauer, who is also kind of one of his nemesis later on. But he starts <laughs> out a friend. Uh, that's how all of his friends go, basically. <laughs> yeah, and later we'll see some scenes where you're like, I can see how that happens. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cantankerous. He really is quite... He's not petty. He's like overly... Mm, his very high standards, I guess. There's a Pathfinder spell. So Pathfinder is <laughs> like a version of D&D. A Pathfinder spell called Blistering Invective. <laughs> That's all Marx does. He gets up every day and casts Blistering Invective all around him. Yeah. It's so vicious and spiteful that enemies who hear it are physically scorched by your fury. <laughs> you get to intimidate them and maybe make them catch fire. Literal fire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literal <laughs> sick burns, and that's all he does. Yeah, he's just so, he's so, like you said, not petty, but like cutting. Fiery, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're slow paced here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of these comments will still apply to other scenes. We're setting the stage. Okay, good. Yeah, good optimism. <laughs> so they're talking, this is in the offices of the Rheinisch Zeitung, like that's the name of their newspaper. Uh, that was accurate. Uh, and they, the cops, they bust in. Marx gives a speech, basically says, you guys are all, you know, modern terms, like you guys are just posters, but I want to actually <laughs> like do praxis, you know? Yeah. He says like uh, a night in prison would do you good. But he's also like, I don't know. He was speaking, but he was like, as a journalist, I don't know. He, he's also one of them. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you're doing the same thing, but okay. Yeah. So they get arrested. Where are they right now? Are they in Germany? It sounds hella German, but... Uh, yeah, they were in Germany at the time. They were in Cologne. So that was the that's the Rhineland news. So that's why it sounds so German. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. So they got shut down. And it's, <laughs> it's like in the police van. <laughs> I love this. Immediately, no remorse. <laughs> yeah, the one guy's like, hey, so I'm thinking of starting a radical paper. <laughs> it's like the cops sitting on the other side of him. It's so funny. <laughs> It may not have exactly happened like that for sure, but like the guy's name, Arnold Rook. Anyway, he gets recruited to write like for his next paper, a radical newspaper in Paris. So he ends up there eventually. Gotcha. And then we go to Angles. We see the mill. Um, Angles' dad, Angles Sr. Papa Angles is what I put. So he runs like a, a textile mill in Manchester, right? I was thinking, like, production value-wise, like, wow, that probably was really annoying to set up all these old-ass machines. <laughs> yeah, they had to call all the museums around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, can we get some pictures so we know what we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they, they show the factory busy at work, and and then it goes to this scene of 
of Papa Mills, or Papa Mills. I mean, yeah, I guess he is Papa of the Mill, uh, <laughs> of Mr. <laughs> Angles, Angles Sr., basically berating the workers because somebody broke, uh, like, the, the machine, and he's like, we're going to dock the cost out of your pay. Who did it? One, one lady's just like, oh, I bet it was the Irish, and then all the Irish people start barking. Yeah. It's so fucking good. They don't give a <laughs> shit. And this one woman starts speaking back to the boss. She stands up for a girl who lost her fingers while working on the loom. And um, she ends up getting fired over it. And we find out her name is Mary Burns. And she seems very cool. Yeah, she was super cool. This part's historically accurate, too. Mary Burns was a working class Irish woman. Fuck yeah. Who was like the lifelong partner of Engels. We'll talk about their relationship as we go on. But yeah, no, she was she was a super cool character. I thought it was interesting that she's like, come on, hey, who's with me? Mm-hmm. When she gets canned and like only one person comes with her. And like, her ah. sister. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, well, shit. Right. I know. I was excited for a second. I was like, oh, is this? Nope, nope. <laughs> uh, but she was badass. And like, I really like how direct she is like throughout the movie. Like she just is like, I'm basically a slave here and it sucks. You know, like she, she's just so able to condense problems down easily. Yeah. And to what they really mean for people, because, you know, Marx and Engels both kind of try to focus on the real conditions and, and they do to some respect, but like, it's kind of like when that later they have a meeting and the guys are like, you're not really workers. Like you're, y'all aren't actually like us. You haven't experienced pro- poverty like us. And it's like, well, you know, that's kind of Mary Burns offers that other flip side of the coin. You know? Definitely. Yeah. Angles goes looking after her. He follows her. This, he looks so much like Niles from Frasier. So in my head, I was just like, look at this, <laughs> look at this fancy boy. <laughs> uh, and he is a fancy boy. Got a top hat, like the whole movie. Oh yeah. He's so he's dapper. That's another thing <laughs> going for dapper. him. Like Marx has the disheveled look all the time. Yeah, I want I I like Marx's look, but I yeah, I think I like Engels's style better, like his his clothes. Engels had more drip, for sure. For sure, would love some of those waistcoats. <laughs> so yeah, he goes and follows her to like this really poor area of town and uh he finds them. Uh the I mean by them, I mean the Irish who are all singing and drinking. And uh, he goes in and and they like really give him shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he tries to be cool about it. He's like, it's it's fine. Like, I hate rich people. Um, I'm writing a book about, you know, the working class and everything. So, hey, you know, I'm one of you. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, you're not. Let me see this gold watch. Like, a guy punches him. <laughs> yeah, it tells him get out or I'm going to punch you. And he's like, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to get out. So he just, he just knocks he him just the fuck does out. It. <laughs> and then we go back to Carl. Back now we're in Paris, 1844. And we're kind of like seeing the life, you know, Carl Marx is living with his wife, Jenny Marx. She's so cute and he loves her so much. Yeah, they're the best. She's the best. <laughs> yeah, they're adorable. I, he's a total wife guy. I love it. I like her a lot better than him. We'll mm. see them be uh, well, like where his he's blistering invective guy. She's like peacemaker yes you know which is just nicer i identify with that more but they're like living kind of a middle class life i guess like they're a little disheveled sort of but like they have a housekeeper you know yeah you can tell they they had some sort of savings i'm assuming from her side because she like came from a wealthy family yeah from the von westphalens um so she was like 
or her father's family had been like petty nobility mm. sort of thing. So like lesser nobility sort of thing. Uh, so they definitely had money and it was sort of like, whoa, that she was going with, you know, that she got married to Karl Marx because it was just a different social class. Yeah. And he was Jewish too, which they mentioned a couple times. His father had converted um, essentially for kind of for the status. Slash, I don't know. I mean, he may have had his own <laughs> reasons too, but that was a thing in that region. Uh, and so that's why he says like a converted Jew or something. Yeah. And an atheist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that. But apparently uh, Karl Marx and, and Jenny's father like ended up getting along. And so he was you know kind of able to talk his way in good with their family. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're talking about their money trouble that, that Rouge isn't paying Carl like for a couple articles, like he owes him money and you know, he kind of feels bad for, for bringing her here, but like, she's so supportive and, mm-hmm. and they're very just like, yeah, this is what we're doing right now. Like, that's fine. We're together. That's fine. They do it. They do yeah, it. We'll see. <laughs> I, so like normally I'm very American prude, I guess. I'm like, I don't like to watch this <laughs> stuff in the movies. Like, I'm just like, it's the awkwardest part of the movie. Oh, that's funny. But it was like fine here because I don't know. You don't think of historical figures like being real people. Mm, I see. So it was like kind of good. It was like, he see, he's just a, he's just a person. You know, they're just people. I still skipped it, but it's just because that is my automatic response because I watch telenovelas. And if I didn't, that would take up all my time. <laughs> you have to because there's just like three fuck scenes of episode <laughs> fair enough so then they go to Proudhon. yeah this was they called it a republican banquet it's like a this sort of political meeting it's got people selling cigars it's got a brass band it looks like a fucking bop i would love to go here i was like this is this what people did just all day yeah and i love how he Proudhon goes up there giving a speech and people just like talk to him and he responds like the speech you know people are always on the teleprompter now now you gotta like go back and forth basically it's kind of cool yeah or you have like a separate Q&A section it's like nah you can just start heckling yeah (laughs) (laughs) but I I liked it was interesting because I I liked what Proudhon had to say and so it was it was great to like then get it challenged but like he's talking about how we he's he's speaking to craftsmen and then someone says, hey, what about work? the workers? And he's like, yeah, them too. But I, you know, I remember that being part of the history of it. It used to be more focused on, on the concerns of craftsmen because they're getting like kind of priced out of things and all that. And I, I love his, some of his rhetoric of basically saying like, they're being murdered. Like, what is slavery? It's murder. So what is property? It's theft. There you go. Yeah, he's trying to boil it down to this phrase that, you know, then afterward, Marx kind of takes him to task for. And I, I don't know. It was a little confusing. I was more It was hard like, to follow. Yeah, that was more like, uh, did you get him on a clever point? Is that substantive? What I interpreted it as, and I think what some of Marx's and really Engels too, their key issue with a lot of these other kind of philosophers and economists and things, is he feels they're too abstract because he, he prods him on like, okay, which property are we talking about? And Proudhon yeah. gets like very abstract and like lofty. He's like, oh, liberty and yeah. uh-huh. egalitarian and fraternity. <laughs> this is my <laughs> French accent. 
It's flawless. And, and Carl's just like not satisfied with that. And you see him bump up against that time and time again with different figures of like, he really hates abstractions and he, he much prefers science and economics. Yeah, he's a nerd. Yeah, which for me, I get why it's important, but that was one of my frustrations with, with Carl. Like you can do both, bro. Like it's okay to be passionate. And he is just like about nerd shit. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he's ever really the one who can give that sort of impassioned. He kind of can give some good speeches here and there, but they're kind of limited in scope. Like the whole like riling up a big, huge crowd. That's not, that's his, not his sort of deal, you know? We meet Mikhail Bakunin. He seems cool. Seems cool. Classic friend enemy trajectory with him and Marx. <laughs> of course. He's an anarchist though, right? Yes, yeah. So I like him. He ends up being a... You know, he's an anarchist, ends up being in kind of the collectivist anarchist stripe. Uh, but yeah, they, him and Marx get at odds and, and bust up the first international. Oh, fuck uh, he gets, he gets kicked out. Marx kicks him out. Okay. <laughs> but that's after the scope of the movie. Jenny is there. I like that he brought her and she seems just as in the conversation as he is. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're never just kind of like, can you go do, <laughs> can you go do woman stuff? Yeah. Next. Something's on fire. What's on fire? I forgot. Well, there was the oh the newspaper. Really, there was the guy at the newspaper's office, basically, and they yeah. were talking. They were telling the story about a workers' dispute and the cobblers going to smash up the place. Uh, and Whiteling is saying Wilhelm Whiteling is the guy talking, and he's like, "It's going to be revolution." And Bakunin is just like, "So it's not. I mean, it's not going to be. A that always <laughs> happens. Don't worry about it. You know, it's a fire like every other day. <laughs> That's a Tuesday." <laughs> Yeah. He's like, you're not from here, are you? So then Angles walks in and he's like, yo, I'm looking for Rouge. And mm, Yeah, that's right. And so he goes up to Rouge's office. This is great. They're talking <laughs> shit about fucking Carl. <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah. These articles are never ready. And they're like, God, his wife is so fucking weird. And then guess who comes in? <laughs> he's like, what are you talking about? Literally says like, hey, yeah. what are y'all talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. And then he starts talking shit about angles i love it i love it i love a a, a hate to romance path <laughs> in this case it's a bromance but it was so cute they just were like both trading swings at each other mostly carl was just like you're a fucking dumbass rich boy you don't even mm -hmm. know which brings me to my question are you more of a carl or are you more of an angles um uh, more of an angles <gasps> no carl's always late with his papers though oh i'm definitely that I thought you'd be more of a Carl. I'm disorganized like Carl. Mm-hmm. I like to drink like both of them. Oh, God, yeah. Those boys. Doesn't really break either way. But do you get really hungover like Carl, or are you as fresh as a daisy, like Angles? Uh, depends on what I drink, I guess. Yeah, honestly, me too. If it has, like, a lot of sugar, I'm dead. I was just thinking because I have a pretty comfortable life. Mm, yeah. But Carl doesn't have it too bad. He just relies on other people, I guess. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. I think he's just uncomfortable with that, which I find interesting. I think I'm I am I'm angles in terms of, yeah, life of luxury. <laughs> and I, I, I like to think I have good fashion. And yeah, I definitely benefit from like some unethical shit. And then but I'm I'm Mark like Mark's in that like I'm always angry. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm always angry and I love my spouse. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's yeah it's not so much one or the other but you're you know 
Those are different aspects of your person. Inside of you, there are two wolves. <laughs> and they're best friends. One's named Marks, one's <laughs> named Engels. Also, they're 24 in this scene, and I just wrote fuck in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm continually, anytime someone brings up their age, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> uh, but then they eventually get to complimenting each other's works. Yeah, that's that's the way to curry favor and... and make friends is say, actually, I think you're awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very cute. They're like, actually, I read your book. I love Engels. Is like, I read your book. Can I be honest? He's like, yeah, please do. He's like, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like Carl does the same thing. It's really cute. They go to a bar and, and keep talking. Mm-hmm. After losing the cops. Yes. They have to, they have to ditch the cops, uh, which I love because Bangles at one point drops his hat, goes back for it because it's an heirloom. It's an like, heirloom. <laughs> what a loser. Uh, uh, but I also really love that he gets people to hold up the police for them. He's like, hello, police are after me. And everyone just likes, like, yeah. okay. And the workers are just like, oh, fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I want that. Mm-hmm. That used to be a tactic you could use. Now that would be inviting people <laughs> to get shot in mass. Yeah, know? they would pull out their guns. They're fucking yeah. good guy with a gun or whatever. You hear the cops are after me. Everyone just hits the ground. Like, fuck, that didn't help. And then, yeah, they, they have boys night, man. They get rowdy. They play chess. They get drunk. Yeah, I was wondering what openings they went with. It didn't really show, but... Oh, yeah, you're a chess head now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a, pl- a good night. They end up throwing up, you know. Oh, yeah. Times were had. Talking shit about their jobs. I wrote just like us. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I, I love that, that Carl just goes, have I told you about my wife? And it just, just starts like waxing poetically about her. It's very cute. What they didn't show you was that Engels was thinking like, yes, you, you told you me did. about her like <laughs> four told, times. <laughs> you told me six times, bro. I get it. <laughs> uh, uh, but I thought it was funny. This is where they throw in Marx's quote about philosophers are concerned with understanding the world but yes. the point is to change it yes i was like that's my guy i also don't like philosophers <laughs> like because i love it because angles goes so philosophers and mark just goes Ugh. like he's so yeah. annoyed at the very word i'm like man that's me <laughs> well, it's funny because it's kind of like with the young hegelians with everyone else that he falls away from it's like he has such a critique of it has such a disdain for it because like he was of it he 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 did philosophy when he was studying so like (laughs) he knows about it you know firsthand and he's like (laughs) yeah i mean it's like us when we talk about liberals like we can we can do that we can say that we were there (laughs) (laughs) well like because it that's definitely not where that quote came from I don't have any evidence, I guess, but come on. But it does kind of sound like a drunken enlightenment, like late in the night quote. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it because this is, this is a note I think I made later, but like, I love how they portray their friendship. Like, it's a very intimate friendship. And they, you know, they, when they write letters, they'll be like, my dear Carl. And like, yeah. they hug every time they see each other. Like, they're just, they're really close. And like, yeah. I don't know, having just spent the weekend with friends, it just made me very emotional. Like, oh, look at these good guys. <laughs> Bros. Uh, so, yeah, they have a good time. Angles ends up, Yeah, Angles <laughs> ends up staying the night. And poor Jenny opens the door and just like, what? Who, who is this? Uh, th- yeah, I have found friends of Kyle's just on the couch sometimes and I'm like okay uh, yeah <laughs> this is what just happened I guess <laughs> yeah it's so cute yeah so uh, they kind of come up with a working title for their for their upcoming book 
Mm, is this the, the critique of critical critique? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good name. I love it. So it does survive that title. I know that later they're like, oh, it got changed to the Holy Family, which it does, but it survives as the subtitle. Did Jenny actually come up with it? Do we know? I don't know historically if that's the case. But okay. I loved it. It's very cheeky. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, among their drunken night at some point, Engel said, Marks, you got to read The English Economist. So the next scene we get is him in the library reading. I love it because he's, he's just like, do you read English? He's like, I can just learn it. And I'm like, damn, dude, what if you just had that confidence? <laughs> You're like, I'll be fine. I'll just learn one of the hardest languages to learn. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and he does it yeah <laughs> good job man um what else jenny says to engels hey he's he's social but he doesn't bring people over like y'all are clearly best besties but like he's he doesn't have your constitution don't <laughs> run him ragged <laughs> he's got a little con mod yeah <laughs> uh, i also liked this quote that, that she had which was happiness requires rebellion because he says something along the lines of like oh you could be like a rich, rich and happy. aristocrat. aristocrat. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to be a cat. I mean, that's the life. Um, no, he says you could be a, you know, a rich lady and, and just idling your time away. And she says like that. No, that would be boring. Happiness requires rebellion. Like I, I love my life here with Marx. Yeah. She's so cool. She's, she's just like, best. yeah, I want to overthrow everything. You know, just badass. She's great. Oh, and then we go to the studio kind of area. I don't know where exactly, but some sort of club. Mm, oh, yeah. They're, yeah. And someone's drawing? Corbet. Corbet is painting. Ah, okay. And and Proudhon says, Corbet paints for the people. Everyone else fucking sucks. <laughs> Which, yeah. I mean, yeah, Corbet was part of that movement of like depicting poor people as they really are, I guess. Mm. Like he, he did a lot of like class-based work. I mean, it's kind of boring looking IMO. It's just like pretty yeah whatever <laughs> it's not my jam but i bet it, it was a big deal at the time and they go and they talk to marx and engels go talk to proudhon and they are like we kind of you know we think that part of part of what you're doing is cool when you're not talking about when you're not being too abstract basically and he's just sort of like uh, okay backhanded compliment i guess but <laughs> yeah how do you he, react to that <laughs> he looks so bemused which i think was a classy way to handle it yeah he's just they're like, like we're writing okay. a critique of your shit and he's like okay <laughs> why are you telling me this but okay yeah uh, <laughs> can't wait to read it <laughs> thanks i guess yeah next we go to another of those little speeches those rallies kind of things yeah this one's like a gathering of workers in some sort of room marx is telling them he's giving a speech to him and he's like you know he's he's i think he's kind of getting technical like you were saying earlier because he's like look your labor, it's like merchandise. You sell it, you know, like you sell merchandise or whatever. But, you you know, you're being forced to sell it to survive. You know, it's this brutal reality we all live in sort of thing. Yeah, I think he doesn't do a great job of translating it to like the everyday. I think he's so concerned with theory. I, oh, and that reminds me in, in his earlier talks with Engels, he asks Engels, because how do you how do you understand the working class so well? And Engels says, well, it's because I'm, I'm fucking this lady. And um, I mean, he doesn't say that, but, but yeah, I mean, he credits Mary for that. He says like that, that's how I understand them. And, and that's how I got those interviews with people. I think that's a very good addition to, to just straight theory is getting those firsthand accounts and like kind of mass line style. Yeah, for sure. I like one worker stands up and says, yeah, but there's always going to be 
bosses and workers and Marx is just like, no, man, they want you to think that like everything changes, you know, capitalism wasn't always around uh, before that feudalism wasn't always around. Everything is born and dies. We're, you know, we are growing and dying. Like you can't, you know, the old, uh, you can't step in the same river twice. The person in the river changes. It makes me think of that uh, Ursula K. Le Guin quote of, uh, you know, we used to think the divine right of kings was always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then he introduces a white link. And oh, yeah. It was such a drastic change from this, like, technical kind of speech to, like, he gets emotional so fucking fast. It's yes. great. He ramps it up to 11 immediately. Oh, yeah. Like, this guy knows how to fucking work up a crowd. Sorry, Higgins is like, again sabotage from the cats higgins is trying to walk on my laptop courtesy of dave and dan yeah fuck you dave get out of here specify on fbi dave fbi fbi dave, dave. <laughs> all the daves dave. are cool <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um this guy knows how to run a crowd and like i like it for sure i i, I gosh total gemini here i think you can do both i think there's a balance to be struck between like you should be able to get people impassioned and speak in their language and and that kind of thing but also like it's fine to understand the theory too you know i think the movie's driving at that synthesis so you can see mark's kind of like as he's looking at that kind of appreciating it and when they're sitting down later to say like we got to get you know our ideas out there to people we got to you know draw that out write something to where people can understand it like that's the culmination of it the manifesto to us is very old fashioned and weird, but back then could be publicly read and stuff and people could nod along and be like, oh yeah, you know? Yeah. So people like that was common enough language back then. Yeah. Okay. Now Higgins is in my like arms and purring. So if you get to hear that, congratulations. No, you're sort of, you know, through a mirror darkly right now. (laughs) It's some ASMR to go with your communism. (laughs) So then they get kicked out of France. Oh, yeah. Uh, the cops show up and deport. They just say, hey, yeah, you're getting kicked out. Uh, you have 24 was... hours. <laughs> and he kind of calls them out. He's like, oh, is this France kicking me out or Prussia? And that the reason is because that actually in real life, that was a request by the king of Prussia to shut down their <gasps> newspaper. Oh, my gosh. Uh, because they like kind of wrote positively about the assassination attempt. Yeah. But basically because they were just like, this is this is fine, you know, and good, good and. We want to see. <laughs> they they basically were all shooks. Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like they did in the movie, right? Like, they oh, did, boo. yeah. And so, yeah, France deports him. And then we find out that Bakunin and Rouge were also deported. And we also find out that Jenny is pregnant again. They're, they're moving, not really of their own volition, but they have to figure out where to go. They end up moving to Brussels in Belgium. And then we shift gears to Engels, factory boy over here. Yeah, he goes home and his dad gives him shit. He's like, what am I supposed to tell my friends? You're writing about God and stuff because they're, like we mentioned, the critique, the critical critique. Sorry, I, just, I really <laughs> love how they say it in French. They changed that title to the Holy Family, which was very controversial. And he's like, you're making me look bad in front of all my rich friends. What the fuck are you doing hanging out with this Marx fool? He, he does make it sound fun, though. Yeah, he's like, you're just hanging out with loose women and drinking. I'm like, that sounds rad. Yeah, no, he juxtaposes that with, we're going to church and going to work. And I'm like... (laughs) I know which one I'd rather do. Sounds crappy compared to (laughs) lazing about in dens of evil, consorting with communists and loose women. 
That's my ideal weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so he he needed to work on his on his pitch there. A little bit of dramatic confrontation there. He's not religious and his dad is. And that was in real life a big point of tension between them. Is that the part where he says like, your brother and sister are getting confirmed. Are you taking communion? He's like, right. why are you asking like, me when you know mm-hmm. the answer? <laughs> Which, yeah. I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was part of it. Uh, so then Engels leaves and goes to see Mary. Mm-hmm. And Lizzie. And yeah, her sister. I like that they're friends. Interesting personal note. They mentioned later. Yes. I was really curious if this actually happened. After Mary's death in... Mm. 1863. Oh, that's like coming up. It's a few years down the road. It's like uh, in the 1870s or like early 1870s, maybe. Engels and Lizzie become like a couple. They're, they don't like marry or anything, but they, yeah. they're they like a couple. And it's interesting, too. At some point, he's introducing Mary as his wife. Uh, but she was never... Oh. They never married. They... Were both they both thought marriage was bourgeois, they just didn't like it. They thought it was you know patriarchy yeah. and capitalism and shit. So they never did that. That's so interesting because that seemed like kind of a big deal in the movie. Yeah, he kind of like points it out. Maybe he was just trying to rile people up. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's interesting. Engels does end up marrying Lizzie Burns on her deathbed to please her religious beliefs. Oh, that's a sad wedding. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so yeah, he goes to see her. I don't know. They just, they smooch. I don't. And oh yeah. And she says, I got you a meeting. Ah, with the League of the Just. (laughs) It's a sick fucking name. (laughs) (laughs) We go back to Carl. He is signing over an agreement in Brussels saying, yeah, I'm not going to do any political activity. My man (laughs) does immediately go do political activity afterwards, but that's fine. Don't worry about it. He got banned from Twitter (laughs) and he made an alternate account. He definitely did. Mary has a baby. It's a girl. You know, it's just classic in a movie when someone's having a baby, but it's old time, so it's very stressful. Oh, You're yeah, like, yeah. I'm pretty sure someone's about to die. Yeah, I see like a bloody rag, and I'm, I immediately like, fuck, does she die? Yeah. <laughs> but everything's fine. Yeah, yeah, it works out. So we have a little bit of writing back and forth at that point. Engels is like, being a factory owner sucks. And I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it's like be, uh, being a communist and managing like an Amazon warehouse or something. Oh, God, you know? yeah. It's like, yeah, that I, I can see how that would be tangibly bad to you. And then Marx gets it and said he's going to go to England to be with Engels so that they can talk to the League of the Just. He talks to Jenny about it, right? And he's like, hey, like, I'm sorry. Like, he, he tries to back out of it. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. And she's like, no, go do it. Like, this is an opportunity. Go do it. Yeah, I thought he was a little pouty about that, though. I thought he was like, okay, fine. If you don't want me to go, I won't go. Yeah, he's a little passive aggressive about it. There was no need for that. Yeah, and then she's like totally like just it's fine. You you know, you need to do this, that sort of thing. So supportive. She's so supportive. Love Jenny. But this, so this isn't really like, this timeline does not seem to match with what I was reading. So Marx and Engels get involved tangentially with the League of the Just in their Paris days. Uh, And then Engels moved to Brussels in April 1845 to collaborate with Marx on a book called The German Ideology. That's the book that he writes to Engels about in the movie saying, like, I'm thinking about explaining historical materialism, basically. That becomes the German ideology. And they worked together on that in April 1845. Marx does visit England in July of 1845. 
and Engels is like his guide or whatever. For that, they were meeting with leaders of the Chartrists movement. The Chartrists were like a working class reform group. So I think what the movie was trying to do is cut down on the number of groups. And <laughs> I think that was a good call because already a lot of groups to keep up with. Yeah. So I think that they were just saying, we're just going to stick with the League of the Just. We're going to make all the all the moves through that. And we're not going to have to deal with the extra stuff. This is This will make more sense to people. Okay. I think that's a good call because like I'm sure... There are similar themes in all those different groups of like, well, one part wanted this and one part wanted like, you know, whatever. Right. Petty yeah, bullshit. If you take any of those groups, they're all going to have factions <laughs> within them. So, yeah. Exactly. Okay. But yeah, he's decided he goes to London and uh, Engels introduce him to Mary. They go to the League and that's when they give him shit about, about being bourgeois, basically. Right. Yeah. And I thought that their portrayal of the League of the Just was pretty accurate. So the real life League of the Just um, was this like kind of Christian communist movement. So their language about like all men are brothers. Yeah. All men are brothers. We want the new Jerusalem. This pretty utopian sort of kingdom of God on earth thing. That's that was kind of how they were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Uh, and and at one point, yeah, they, they mentioned god or something and and angles says like in german to marx like what the fuck are we doing here <laughs> <laughs> yeah what, i love it what where did you bring me <laughs> and then bakunin comes in and shows off like his his fucked up legs he got beat up by like the police or something and i thought that was funny nah, that was uh that was whiteling whiteling i get them mixed up because they were introduced near the same time okay whiteling comes in <laughs> and then they they basically have to name drop prudon in order to get in <laughs> yes <laughs> the guy they talk shit about they're like oh yeah we're, we're best friends <laughs> he yeah hand in glove hand we, in glove we basically you know always talk you know we've all exaggerated a twitter acquaintance before i feel like oh oh my, my friend and it's like <laughs> no this this is just somebody you follow online <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, how they kind of get their their gig i guess or get the league to not throw them out or to, I guess they're setting up a meeting with them later. They're they're going to consider their membership, basically. Next, we get the scene with the rich guy in the club, right? Yes. For some reason, they decided to go <laughs> to like the poshest place in town. I was so confused by this. I'm like, what are y'all? You don't like this. So what are you doing here? Yeah, it's a joke. Like three communists walk into a country club. <laughs> like and of course, they immediately get shit. They're like, yeah, the woman can't be in here because they bring Mary. And he's like, it's like fucking raining and I don't want to get sick. Like, fucking give me a second. And then they run into one of Papa Angles's friends. Mr. Naylor. Yes. And they have a little sparring, verbal sparring match. Just the worst human. <laughs> Uses child labor unapologetically like, this is what the market demands. I got to do it or someone else would do it. <laughs> Says some anti-Semitic shit to Carl. Oh, yeah. That's like Hebrew to me, mm -hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And Carl was like, I know this motherfucker just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes off on him. It's great. His his uh, blistering invective here was in full, <laughs> full swing. Yeah. Rolled max damage on this guy. What I kept thinking of, though, like they show the guy walking out. I'm like, is this man even going to think about this? Like, no, he's just going to throw it all out like crazy communists. Fuck them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Cause he and he kind of portrays him that way. He's like, society would fall apart mm -hmm. if we didn't do this, and and you would like that, wouldn't you? This guy was like every every detractor from communism almost rolled into <laughs> one. They might as well called him <laughs> Mister Capitalism. 
Yeah, he was terrible. Good morning to everyone but Mr. Naylor. <laughs> For real, that guy sucks. <laughs> we go to a meeting, right? That's the next one I have, at least. Yeah, they go to a meeting with the League of the Just. They're meeting, like, at Carl's fucking house, and I'm like, my dude, you did say you weren't going to do this, but okay, you're going to get kicked out of the country again. (laughs) Yeah, and they're sitting around the table, coming up with an explanation of, like, what is our common doctrine going to be? Something for regular workers. So kind of they have to come to an agreement, right, on what what they're going to say. Yeah, and, and of course, shit pops off. Whiteling basically is like, we want revolt now. Like, let's fucking do it. You know, anarchist guy. I get it. Carl's like, no, we can't do that without theory. That would be irresponsible. And they, they end up really insulting Whiteling and, and Groon. Uh, yeah, well, I love how as Marx starts opening up, you know, and just saying, yeah, this is irresponsible. This is ridiculous. Like, he just he starts says going it off. so caustically. And Jenny just gives him, like, the kill you look. She's just like. What the fuck? I love it. She's like, dude, you are taking a big... I, in my mind, I was wondering, like, you're taking such a big risk here by even doing this. Can you fucking not let it fall apart on the very first meeting, please? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The look she gave him was great. <laughs> it was like... Uh, but, like, up. he leans into that, dude, because... like, So, he goes off on Whiteling, but then he's like, oh, we have a Russian here, and we all know that Russians are crazy, basically, <laughs> is what he says. He starts shit in the group chat. Yeah, and then he, he says to the other guys, like, and you are just, you're a hypocrite, and you, back to, I think, Whiteling again, calls him ignorant. Like, he just makes the rounds. And then they get yelled out. I didn't know who this guy was, this old man with the crazy neck beard. The guy who yells at them after this scene, like, hey, what the fuck did you do that for? The league guy? Yeah, he's the main league dude. Okay, okay. Yeah. He's like, hey, what the fuck? That's not what we're trying to do here. You're insulting Prudon, which is like the guy we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and that kind of trashed the Prudon thing because they were like, oh, you pissed off Groon and Groon's going to mess it up. So, And sure enough, they go to Prudon and he's like, yeah, I don't really want to join. Because <laughs> the, the deal was if they could, because that's what the old guy says, like, if you can get Prudon, then you're in. And also they want you to help reorganize the league and draft a program. That's the agreement. To me, I don't know how well that sticks with history, to be honest. The League of the Just was one thing. And then Marx and Engels started something called the Communist Correspondence Committee, uh, which was just kind of like their own organizing thing with some other, you know, communists uh, trying to figure out how to do a revolutionary proletarian party. And then their idea, essentially, someone was like, well, just go join the League of the Just and merge. Like, and mer- like merge together and then change it overall to your you know what they end up doing the communist league so it's it seems a little simpler i don't know if they were just trying to do the drama of the takeover of the big fight or not but we'll talk about it interesting uh there there may be more sources that i just didn't find which happens a lot Mm -hmm. probably (laughs) we're two people guys yeah so yeah they talk to prudon and he's like that sounds like a lot of work, bro. <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> he says straight up, I'm lazy. And I'm like, man, I relate. Well, so I also thought it was interesting. Like, weren't they misrepresenting the proposal? Like, they didn't want him to be a correspondent. They wanted him to be, to like, go speak at their thing and support their movement, right? Um, maybe. I, I couldn't tell. Because later, I mean, they end up not getting him and they still get in. So I'm like, okay. I think that's just like what got him in the door. 
Okay. And then they talked it over. They did talk it over because the guy emphasizes this was a collective decision. You guys are assholes. (laughs) But the group collectively decided that, like, you're in. Yeah, he really emphasized, like, conditional, you know? (laughs) like Yeah. It was really funny. (laughs) Oh, I did like... They uh, when they talk to Proudhon, he gives them he gives them a copy he of gives them his book. Yeah, the poverty of philosophy. Oh, this is so great. He and he's like, hey, uh, maybe don't insult me this time. And I wrote, oh, they're about to insult him. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, the next scene, they get drunk and rip this book a new one. It's so good. An entire <laughs> takedown book called the poverty of philosophy. Very good. My guy is good at titles. I'm into it. <laughs> Yes, that one is like, so it's a dedicated takedown book. Marx wrote it in French so that the title would be like, so that the, the, you know, the pun there, the clever wordplay would be evident. Fuck yeah. That's what a use of your, your trilingual skills. (laughs) It's otherwise like not a, a big work of his, to be honest. So it's, it looks pretty short. So Proudhon's point in Philosophy of Poverty, apparently it wasn't, just wasn't very well made in the first place. It was a little bit mushy. And Marx's critique of it, it, while effective, is just like, it's also very confusing to read. Okay, okay. Not a banger. Yeah, when you're taking someone down for being confusing, you have to talk a lot lot about confusing things, so. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Mary, though, she's hawking it at the Congress, at the the League meeting. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, buy it. (laughs) buy this tiny shitty book (laughs) so yeah the next next bit they go to to the meeting and they're not accredited which means they can't speak and i'm like what are we doing here guys (laughs) yeah they reminded me of um like the socialist meetings or whatever in the movie reds Mm, right 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 the credentials that blows my mind because i'm like we're we're communists we're not supposed to be about this kind of fucking rule you know, finagling. Maybe I'm just too anarchist for it. I'm like, no hierarchy. Just go. <laughs> I guess as long as you have a means of, you know, kicking out the the MAGA guys Assholes. when they come in the door. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anybody should be able to speak here, you know, and then you have to listen to them. <laughs> so, yeah. Just racist or something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. They're like, no, I'm going to fucking talk. And they're like, fine. Ugh, we'll take a vote. And uh, Groon is there, and he's mean mugging them. He votes no. He's like, fuck you guys. I don't want to hear you speak. But they end up winning. So Angles gets up there and is like, we need violent revolution. And this fucking <laughs> one guy in the crowd interrupts him. And he goes like, we need more kindness, not violence. And I'm like, oh, my God, bro. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely the love triumphs overall sort of type. Mm-hmm. And Angles just says, and this is the quote I wrote, which I enjoyed, which is, the bourgeoisie show you no gentleness. You won't conquer it with kindness. And like, Jesus Christ, I want to tell everybody that. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, you know, he comes out of the gate swinging and you're kind of like, okay, well, you know, he's being real dark side with this real like just straight up. Let's do this. But like he justifies it and says, like, I'm not just being an asshole. I'm trying to be like practical. You know, you can dream about whatever, but you're not going to get anywhere unless you're willing to take the steps necessary. Dave might be here because there is a police car outside across the street. Damn. Dave called in backup. <laughs> they know about the cat ray. Yeah. Yeah. They're here to supplement it. Yeah. I mean, I really liked his point of just like, yeah, they ain't going to fucking give it to you. 
And it, it was a really good speech. Uh, was Engels actually a good speaker? I don't know. Hmm. I, I mean, it's not what he's primarily known for. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised. But yeah, it's great. He basically is just like, no, nope, this is what we're doing. And they just <laughs> take the because he, he questions the the all men are brothers slogan. He goes, oh, are all men brothers? What about like the bourgeoisie? Are they brothers? What about the nobles? Are they brothers? And everyone's like, I don't know. No. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> he, he says, I propose a new slogan, a new name. And they put up the banner. And it's the fucking Communist League. And it says, workers of the world unite. And I like, I clapped along with the fucking crowd like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah, that's my guy. And I wrote like, imagine how exciting that would be. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was super cool. Uh, I mean, that's another one. I don't have any direct sources about how the Congress really took place one way or the other. So it's cool that way. Like that one's. (laughs) (laughs) I choose to believe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to get excited about communism, I think this is a good movie for it. Yeah, for sure. And basically, it's decided they they have to write the manifesto. Yes, to like they were going to do before, you know, to explain the party platform. But now they're for sure they're the Communist League. So it's so it's no longer the League of the Just manifesto. Now it's going to be the Communist manifesto. They call it the Catechisms, which is kind of a dorky name. Well, so that actually stems from Engels's principles of communism. Uh, which you may have seen before. Most people encounter this frustratingly after <laughs> reading the Communist Manifesto. Oh, okay. I think I might have. So it is like a question and answer format. That's why they call it a catechism. Like first draft, basically, of what the manifesto ends up being. That's pretty good. That's a TLDR. Wish I had seen that. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. <laughs> so, I mean, it, so it goes number one, number two, number three, number four, like, Number one, what is communism? Communism is the doctrine of the conditions of the liberation of the proletariat. Number two, what is the proletariat? It just does that. <laughs> okay, yeah. I wish I had read that first. Okay. Everyone gets this after they've... And so it's like, but why, <laughs> what? Why did I have to decode that? This should have been like the intro to it or something. Attach them somehow, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what they... So they were talking about it. We see them on... On the beach. The next shot is them on a beach. Yeah. And he's like, bro, you're three weeks late. <laughs> Yes, and I was like, oh, fuck, Mark, I feel you. Uh-huh. And they kind of de- are debating it, and this is this is true to life, is uh, they put together, Engels put together this draft, and it was like, yeah, this is kind of boring. This isn't a very good, like, this isn't <laughs> going to grip people. Possess. Yeah, and so I was like, well, Marx, what you're going to do, take this and, like, really give it the works. And, and Snaz it up. Make it look cool. Uh, do some good prose. And so that's why, I mean, it kind of goes in the same order too, pretty much through the principles of communism versus communist manifesto is it, it's, it's, it's essentially the draft. It's like an outline. Marx has to, he, he did in real life also very much procrastinate about writing the <laughs> manifesto and they had to come back oh and be like, gosh. motherfucker, here was the deadline. Oh my God. That stressed me out. And I had the same uh, thought of like, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's pretty funny. So yeah, they give him the hard deadline. And apparently, like, Marx was just dabbling in a whole bunch of other shit, like doing what they call ceaseless procrastination, is one of his <laughs> biographers, how he puts it. There is only one surviving page from the first draft. <laughs> it's just like a doodle or something. Uh, historian Eric Hobsbawm points to the absence of all these rough drafts, saying basically... He just rushed to finish the he job didn't on have time. Any he just drafts. threw it together. Oh my the, God, my man. And <sighs> writes one of the most memorable <laughs> <laughs> I 
pieces of political rhetoric of all time. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not a procrastinator, so I don't, I don't relate to that. But I will say sometimes the things you shit out in five minutes and post are like, yeah, this sucks. People like, so like, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think he gave it some thought, like they were revising and stuff totally, but it was also super quickly done. <laughs> yes. So yeah, you know, they kind of fight about the deadline and payment and, you know, all that stuff. And, and Carl Mark's says, I'm, yeah, he says, I'm nearly 30. <laughs> I have no money, no more energy. And I was like, I mean, same, but like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> also, like, you're nearly 30 and you're just, you're writing the fucking communist manifesto. Like, Jesus. <laughs> don't oh. think about that, dude. That's not the best, not the best road to go down. So many people do so many things so early. Different paths, man. And then you also just don't have to do crazy stuff. Like you can just do you, you know, if <laughs> yeah, you're out there like, true. damn, these guys are always talking about changing everything. What could I possibly, and, you know, maybe, yeah, throw yourself into it. But if you just want to like chill and vibe and do your thing, that's also fine. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. You don't have to do it all. Yeah. Do some and hopefully everyone does some. Yeah. Do what you can do is good for you. Yeah. That was our soothing corner. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the validation corner. <laughs> You're yeah, doing you great. Are good. <laughs> uh, oh, also, this is where we get the conversation between Mary and Jenny, and they talk about like, oh, do you not like want kids? And Mary's like, I, I can't do that. I gotta stay free for the fight, and to fight, I have to stay poor. I don't want Angle's money, like all that shit. Yeah, it was kind of cool. It was. She she knows what she wants, man. She was real. And then, yeah, they, they start editing the manifesto. And I wrote, man, that would really suck to have to edit on paper and just be like, where's this paragraph? And oh, my gosh, that stresses yeah. me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Writing is hard enough. I do not need any other obstacles in my way. Well, yeah, like losing a physical paper out of it. Like what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they end up nailing it with the specter is haunting Europe. Like that, you know, that's a good choice. Boogeyman would not have worked as well. I wrote wish they had stuck with it because that's fucking funny. <laughs> that's a funny word. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as serious, I guess. So then they do a really good. The The last scene before they do the text over is this montage while they're reading the manifesto. And they show like poor people. And railroads and factories and. And it lines up very well. I, I may just be a fan of montages. I realize that about myself. Is <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're doing a montage. Oh, this is good, you know, but <laughs> I thought it was good. <laughs> I thought it was good. I thought it was very, like, emotionally poignant. And, like, I don't know, it reminded me of how much the manifesto slaps. The You know, and, like, the final shot before, like, the text is, like, a child in front of the French flag because the Paris Revolution broke out, like, a month later, Right. Yeah, the the revolutions of 1848 in Paris and then throughout broader Europe. It was incidentally like not it happens a month later. It couldn't have been did from not this. Get, yeah, it didn't get widely circulated by that <laughs> point. So it was not because of the manifesto. They kind of implied that. Um but I mean, you know, so if you're it, it does they're related because they're coming of the workers movement and everything. They're tapped into it. Engels is like, no, dude, I know shit's about to pop off. You can feel it, you know, like, so they knew it. And so it does, it makes sense for this, a major shift to take place at that time. You know, like, oh, hey, we're now not the League of Just, we're the Communist League. Now we're going to put out our, you know, it makes sense for it to be. It lines up. Yeah, but it's just, it's not causal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's annoying then. I wish they made that 
more clear or something or, or I don't know. I, I think they did a decent job of, of talking about that. Like everyone's always like, shit's changing. You know, like I think every character says something to that effect. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was annoying that they made it seem like they did it. <laughs> right. Cause uh, it, uh, cause it fails also. So like, which one is that? <laughs> which revolution is that? That's not the commune, is it? No, it's not. Um, so the 1848 revolutions, like I said, it's, it's a series of them all throughout. In France, they have one called the February Revolution, which is French Revolution of 1848 also. Um, it ended the conservative July monarchy uh, and established the Second French Republic. It's With all of these, to the extent that they even succeed, they're like bourgeois, kind of liberal democratic. They have some elements of workers' discontent mixed in. I mean, that's why it comes to a critical to a critical mass. I mean, if you that's where they get the bodies, right? Yeah, the the little you know the shopkeeps and whatever, and the the middle class people aren't just going to revolt because they have some ideas. Like they ha- things have to get critically bad for people to do that. Yeah, and they they talk about like the price of bread going up and that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. It's. You know, it's it's just their aims, their, their goals were channeled into mostly just uh, sort of liberal reforms of like representation and things like that, of uh, more parliamentary things. But I thought that the text over was accurate because it does say it's out of these the ashes of these revolutions that the workers movement arose, because I think that's very true. And it's something that Marx and Engels and Lenin later talks about is the bourgeois liberal revolutions to get like parliamentary stuff parliamentary rights is like a necessary precursor or like a, i guess not necessary but like a, a preferred precursor to getting like the rights to work within to to go further to get you know to agitate for the socialist revolution yeah i mean it's much harder to pull off a, a revolution if you're like in a straight-up fascist state where like you have yeah you, you can't move around you can't organize right. yeah uh i gotta say though the Bob Dylan song for the credits was very jarring. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. Oh, I didn't stick around for it. What? I was in a rush. I was trying to eat at that point. What was it? Like a Rolling Stone. That was the song. And that's, yeah, okay. and they show the, the pictures. Yeah, I didn't. You didn't do that. How dare you? Do you even want to be on this podcast? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, that was very jarring. I was like, what are we, why are we doing this right now? <laughs> Whoa, okay. Yeah, and they, they show all this more montage i should have watched this i like it yeah <laughs> it's good all right so yeah yeah let's give ratings final thoughts uh, i'm gonna give it four out of five okay what, what's what's your critique of critical critique <laughs> <laughs> the critique of critical critique of critical critique yes i think it's entertaining uh i think that it portrays kind of this small slice of marx's life that's to me not even the most interesting bit of it, Ooh. but like makes it pretty compelling all the same. It's to me, it's difficult to make a biopic about a philosopher. Yes, it's just like writing. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So like they did a good job. On the other hand, I think it is a biopic about a philosopher. So like <laughs> his general audience appeal is probably like kind of limited. You know. Like your 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 less politically or historically inclined friends probably won't dig it as much as someone who listened to a communist podcast, you know. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, I really liked it. I don't know how many other like regular ass people would like. If I think 
the best way to watch this movie would to would be to have enough reference so that you know what's going on. Like you definitely should have read the manifesto. You definitely should know at least a few of the players because I didn't know everybody. But I was like, okay, I know Bakunin. Okay, I know I knew Proudhon, and that helped a lot because I'm like, oh yeah, that guy. You know, like I was able to reference like the Hegelians and things like that. So I kind of knew who the major players were. I still didn't know a lot of them, but it was it was clear enough in the film that I was able to follow. It sort of does. It's pretty good about it because people mention like the, you know, and kind of try to focus on the workers themselves and everything. But we are very much wrapped into just by storytelling convention, you know, Marx and Engels and, you know, and the people close to them as as fundamental or like, you know, indispensable people in it. Yeah. Moving history forward. Um, But I, I do think it tries to be like, it's not just them, you know, it's, it's the masses too. I think they try to because the the end montage showing all like the poor people and stuff, I think really brought it back to that. Like, I think it would have been annoying if they're like, and then the book was made and they, they did it. You, know? <laughs> you yeah. know? So like, I think they did a good job of tying it back to a larger movement. I think their work with the league and like talking to regular people was very helpful. Um, again, Mary and her contributions, I think showing that was important. Mm-hmm. So I think they did a pretty good job of 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 synthesizing it. Yeah, I think at the end of the day you're right. It is a it's a movie about writing, which like I'm a writer and it's not very exciting to watch. It's just a lot of <laughs> laying around and being frustrated. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I think it was good. My rating is I think four point five out of five. I really enjoyed it. Nice. I think I have the same critique of like it's a little inaccessible if you don't at least know some of it. It is very good. I mean, it's openly communist. It is. It is. I was impressed. I know that they're portraying, you know, communist figures. So it's like, well, duh, that the protagonist is going to be. But like they take pains to show and they go out of their way to show like, hey, here are the right wing people. They suck. They are killing people. They are cheering on child labor. Like that's the opposition. <laughs> exactly. Like I think they did a really good job of not muddying the water too much and saying like, yeah, these are obviously the bad guys. Like that scene with Mr. Naylor, I think was really important. I think even the beginning scene at the factory was really important to say like, here are the stakes. Here's even, even there's a very small scene where Angles interacts with like a little boy selling stuff on the street. And it just helps set the stage of like, this is what's going on right now. Like shit fucking sucks. <laughs> yes. And that kind of leads me into another thing I that I had on here is that in terms of usefulness for the movie, right? Obviously, it's probably not going to convert anyone who's just straight up conservative. (laughs) No, no. But I do think it could be useful in terms of like being a, it's kind of a sympathetic element. If you're, if you have like more progressive friends who just have, you know, residual liberalism or whatever, they they don't think of themselves as, oh, I'm not, you know, extremist. So I'm not like going as far as being a, or maybe I'm a socialist, but I'm not like, you know, a communist or anything. One hesitation people have about, moving in more of a Marxist direction from being a liberal or like a sock dem sort is one thing they think is, well, you know, I don't want to be tied down to, you know, this old fashioned Marxism, you know, old dead white guys living in a completely different world where, you know, it has nothing to do with the present day. And I think the movie does a really good job of, you know, kind of breaking through that and saying like, this is actually very identifiable. Like these old fashioned problems, sure have like a very modern feel to them. If you're like watching it today, you know, um, there's, they're facing a world at a crossroads, 
between workers being ground down by automation, trying to fight for an alternative. Meanwhile, the titans of industry want to what? They want to further squeeze more blood out of them to surplus them all together if, I, if they can, you know? I don't know if I agree with that. I, I, I don't see this converting a liberal. I think because it's a historical piece, they will just view it through that lens and say, well, that's what worked. That's what they tried then. It's not going to work now. I don't mean like the DNC. No, no, no. I even progressives like I, I don't I, I think unless you have already read the manifesto, I think that that bit at the end wouldn't do a lot to sway you because like even I kind of zoned out during some of the particular words. I was just like, this is cool. Like, <laughs> you know, but I, I was like, I know I like this because I know I like this book. Hmm. Because those words take a lot of interpretation. Like if I I would have had to pause it and like read and like think like, OK, I see what he's saying. Now I go. That, that's my concern, is, is that it is such a historical piece that I, I, you were saying, oh, I think these problems are relatable. I, th- I think they are because like I'm able to make those historical connections. I don't know if everyone would. They wouldn't be like, everyone's always complaining about their shitty job <laughs> in this movie. My concern is that the things that got brought up, like child labor, like someone could easily be like, well, we don't have child labor anymore. We did it, you know? Mm, yeah. I guess I like to make parallels and maybe other people don't. They're just like, wow, look at the past. I'm not saying they couldn't. If you got a progressive enough person, they could. I, I don't know if this is the piece I would show. Yeah, not out of the gate, no. They need, yeah. to, they need to watch a few more in-betweens. Now, another thing I thought was kind of was something that the movie did well was really humanize Marx and Engels and really every all of the protagonists in it were like regular people, you know, they weren't like kind of weird, stoic, historical avatars, you know? Yeah. And, and kind of hand in hand that with hand in glove in that. Uh, <laughs> I, I like their treatment of women. Like they were just, they were part of it and they were fucking mm-hmm. there and they were involved and they were supportive, but also like active. I thought it was nice. Yeah, for sure. Very small note. There was like a black guy at the first like Republican rally thing, which I thought was interesting. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, and that like totally would have been a thing. Uh, where and they were in France at the time, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My final note is very silly. <laughs> uh, you know the angles boob drawing. Have you seen this? It's the best drawing ever. Uh, maybe. Just Google angles doodles. Obviously, the famous Max Sterner doodle. But there's a page of doodles. Oh, okay. I see this one. Yeah. With just like this very pleased woman with her tits out, mm-hmm. and I wrote. I think I kind of want that as a tattoo. <laughs> I think that'd be a sick ass tattoo. Oh, uh, that's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm considering it. My rule on tattoos is you got to sit on it for a few months before getting it. Don't want to be too impulsive. Yeah. Generally speaking. <laughs> uh, uh, good movie. I think it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Recommend. Enjoy it with your communist friends. Absolutely. All right, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to learn about and enjoy the musical stylings of one Paul Robeson. Oh, yeah. We talked about this guy briefly at one point. He like, this is the guy that has the crazy resume, has done everything and is good at everything, right? Yeah, he was he was <laughs> naturally good at the things that he did. <laughs> Worked hard at it, too, for sure, but like, was just incredible. So we'll talk about him. And he was uh, he was a total leftist. Awesome. Excited. I love a music episode. Cool. Well, we're both tired, so let's let's fucking end this thing. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye, dude. Bye. 
Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.